Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show today. We're going to I've got a fellow therapist that's going to join me and it's Jake Eagle. And Jake grew up in New England, mostly in Vermont, and you'll never guess where he ended up. This is the best part. He's in Hawaii now. After spending about 10 years going to college, before he graduated, he was running a small business, and he did this for about 20 years until he was in his mid-30s, and then he switched careers and became a licensed professional counselor, had a private practice for the last 30 years. But his approach to therapy has always been very pragmatic, in part because of the background in business. And I identify with that, Jake. I, in my previous life, I had an MBA and worked in the business world, so I get that. It does, it does carry over. Uh, but his focus is really on helping people create the lives they want. And, you know, not spending so much time focused on the past, except when necessary. And recently, Jake has started to think of himself not just as a psychotherapist, but as a megatherapist. And I think I agree with with you, Jake. You, I saw a comment that while we both know how helpful therapy is, sometimes we can get on that therapy hamster wheel and just keep going round and round and round. So thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. So nice to connect with you. You know, and I love the fact, and, and I value the psychotherapy. I value that greatly. I ran this business. I ran the Brain Performance Center during the day, and I went to grad school at night so I could bring that psychotherapy piece in. But I've always believed, uh, from from my perspective, that psychotherapy works on the conscious level. And what I love so much about the, the brain, the neurotherapy and the creating neuroplasticity and neuromodulation is that really does work more on the subconscious level. So I definitely can see, can identify with, with your comment that sometimes we got to get off the roller coaster. Yeah. And yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was just sort of reevaluating therapy as a modality. And I was acknowledging that had I not been in therapy for several years, I would not have gotten where I am. I mean, it was extremely valuable. And I've had the good fortune to work with some very skilled therapists. So it is, it is a valuable service. And I think when I, when I refer to myself now as a meta therapist, and, and what that means is what comes beyond therapy after you've done the necessary work in terms of therapy, developing your own communication skills, developing your own personal maturity, learning how to have healthy relationships. What comes after all of that? We, we no longer, in my opinion, we no longer need to spend as much time looking inward. And that's an opportunity to look outside of ourselves. And I think that's really where some fascinating opportunities exist, but they're not talked about enough. Well, I know that you've practiced mindfulness and I know that you've been a big meditator. And it was that just the beginning of your journey outside of yourself? Well, it was, but what happened is unusual in that I found meditation to be quite difficult. Um, I'm a very active mind and I am quite 
uh, ambitious or have been as I'm getting older, I'm less so. And I just found it hard to sit still for 30 minutes and not have my mind be active. Um, this is what led to the creation of a new method, a new method of mindfulness, which I created with a colleague. His name is Michael Amster. He's a doctor, a pain specialist, lives in Santa Cruz, California. And he and I developed something called the AWE method, A-W-E, the AWE method, as a way for people to experience mindfulness without having to sit silently for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And we, we just recently released a book called The Power of Awe. And that is based on two research studies we did at the University of California in Berkeley. It's a very different approach to mindfulness. Well, you know, you, I, I have found a lot of people, you're not alone. A lot of people have a really hard time and a lot of people will use guided meditation to help them. But for uh, many of my clients to just go sit in a room by themselves and just for 30 minutes, it's very, very difficult. So, so I definitely see the value added. What's the first step? How do you start moving? Is it just a decision that you have to make for yourself? Well, I, I'll tell you sort of the short history in terms of how we developed this. I, I was teaching a course online. It was a 21-day program called Thrilled to Be Alive. And as part of that program, I was asking the participants to meditate for 10 minutes a day. And after the first week, what happened is many people in the program said, I can't do that. I don't have the time and I'm not good at it and I actually don't even like it. And so I suggested casually, I suggested people simply do a micro meditation, very short meditation. I said, if you can't do anything else, spend 30 seconds focusing your attention on something you deeply value and just see how that goes. Well, everybody said they could do that and they did. And at the end of the course, I did an evaluation, which I always do. And what I found was that the people who did the micro meditation we're getting results equal to the people who did the longer meditation. And Michael Amster, my colleague, was in that course. He was a participant. And he and I both looked at the results and said, this is really fascinating. What's going on here? And so we decided each one of us would do a pilot project. I would do it with 20 of my clients, and he would do it with 15, I don't remember, 15 or 20 of his pain patients, people who are in chronic pain. So we each did a pilot project. We did psychological uh, evaluation prior and after the study. And again, we got these remarkable results where people doing these very short meditations were seeing decreases in depression and anxiety and increases in well-being. So Michael took the study results to UC Berkeley because that's where the Greater Good Science Center is They've done a tremendous amount of research on the emotion of awe. And we identified that awe seemed to be what people were accessing in these very brief meditations. The people at Berkeley were excited. They thought that what we had actually stumbled on was kind of, the, they referred to it as the future of mindfulness. And so we decided to do a large study with them. And right at that time, the pandemic started. And so 
we tried to figure out where we could be most helpful. And we decided to do a study with frontline healthcare workers and patients, people who were under a great deal of stress and tension and dealing with a lot of burnout. So we did a study and this was again, a 21 day program where people were asked to practice awe three times a day. And I'll, I'll tell you a little later how we do that. And at the end of the study, Again, the results were tremendous, but this time it was with a cohort, two cohorts totaling about 500 people. So it was really significant. And because of the study and the results we got, we had publishers interested in uh, having us write a book, which neither of us had planned to do. Um, and that's what we spent the last two years doing. We wrote the book. It came out just a little while ago. And this has really taken on a life of its own. It's not something I was planning to do, but here we are. That's interesting. So what does AWE stand for? So AWE is an acronym. A stands for attention. And the idea is, and people listening now can do this unless you're driving in a car, but to take your attention and place it on something that you value, appreciate, or find to be amazing. It could be the scene outside a window. It could be a a piece of art on a wall in your house. If you're sitting with another person, you might look at the other person and they might be a source of awe. So what's unique about our approach is that we're helping people access the emotion of awe in the ordinary. In other words, you don't have to go sit at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You can do this in your home. You can do this at work. You can do this anytime. So the first step is attention. Place your attention on something you value. Second step is the W in the word awe. W is where you wait. And when I say wait, I'm talking just a short amount of time, a full breath cycle. So wait while you inhale, give 110% of your attention to whatever it is you're focused on. And then the E stands for exhale and expand. And when you exhale, several things happen. One is that you enhance whatever sensations are in your body. And because you are focused on something you value, the sensations are going to be positive. So also when you exhale, you, you activate the vagus nerve. And when we activate the vagus nerve, it shifts us into a parasympathetic state, a more relaxed state. So now we're in a more relaxed state and we're having these positive sensations expand within our body. And it's a really um, distinct experience. It can be subtle or it can be very dramatic, but it's always perceived as something that's life enhancing, something that um, the way I think of it is it resets our nervous system. And, and it's just a, a, a wonderful break if we're experiencing any tension to be able to reset our nervous system so easily and so quickly. Well, you must have been reading my mind, Jake, because I was thinking that could be used to interrupt that fight, flight, or freeze. You know, you mentioned when the, par the parasympathetic takes over, and for so many people, they get stuck in that cycle, fight, flight, or freeze. So what you're suggesting is, is that you can take an awe moment and focus on yourself and calm that autonomic nervous system down? Yes, the only thing I would change about that is you're not necessarily focused on self, although it could be. For example, you could 
you could focus on a memory you have of a, of a person you dearly love or an experience you had that was profoundly moving. And you would be focused somewhat internally in that case. But generally, the focus is more external. It's more looking at something outside of yourself or um, connecting with, say, a pet. If you're a pet lover, you have a cat or a dog. If you give them your full undivided attention, that's more the kind of stimulus that we're looking for. And part of what happens, and you probably know more about this than I do, is that when you put your attention on something and you have that pause, it quiets down what's known as the default mode network. And the default mode network, as I understand it, is the part of our brain, it's parts actually, it's not one thing, it's a system that is responsible for a lot of our internal dialogue and our mental chatter. All that quiets down. Now, people listening may, may be saying to themselves, well, yeah, I've tried meditation. I know it's supposed to quiet my mind, but it doesn't work. And that was my experience. The reason this is different is I'm asking you to do it for five seconds. And when people hear that, they relax. They go, well, gosh, I can do that for five seconds. That's, that's, that's fine. If you ask me to do that for 10 minutes, ironically, I actually feel a little anxious. Like, I don't know if I can do that for 10 minutes, but I can do anything for five seconds. So it, what you're saying is focus on what's in your environment that has value to you, whether it's your, your, your pet or a child or, or a person. Chan- use that to, to channel your energy. That's right. Use that as a source to connect with the things in life that you deeply value and appreciate. Five seconds seems like such a short when you say it, although I do know when I work on my breathing, five seconds can seem like a really long time. Yeah. And and I, I don't know. I know you do a great deal of research and exploration of how the mind works in the brain. And I don't know if you see shifts happen this quickly. Um, but but it is what we're seeing repeatedly when people do the all method. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we're nothing but frequencies. And mm-hmm. when you're when something good happens, you can feel the energy change in your body or I can. And when something bad happens, you know, a car comes right out in front of me that I can feel that tension, that muscle tension. I can feel that nausea in my stomach. So I would right. be willing to bet that, you know, maybe we ought to put a cap, a QEG cap on somebody and record those brain waves and look at them. I'd love to do that. I'd love yeah. to do that. That would be great. Yeah. And, and you're right. Those are great examples. You know, a car comes out in front of us and we feel our physiology shift in less than a second. It, 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 it's almost instant. Now, you're probably familiar with this. In, in the world of psychology, they always said that you can experience the fight flight response almost instantly but you can't quell it instantly you can't get it to calm down instantly and what i would say is that if you're truly under threat if you know the the tiger is chasing you i agree you're not going to be able to use the awe method you're not going to be able to shift from the anxious sympathetic state to the calm parasympathetic state but if the threat is more of a chronic condition, which is what we're seeing so much of in our culture, where people are tense a great deal of the time, 
I actually have seen that that can change very quickly. We can break that cycle. We can interrupt that state of tension by using the awe method. Well, and I would think I would agree with that because we're st- we stay in such a chronic state that we're just reacting. We're just reacting without thinking. And that if you interrupt that, then you can shift it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And what we found in our study was something that's kind of fascinating. It, it, it makes sense after you hear it, but it's called the dose response. And what that means is that the more frequently people dosed, and when I say dose, I mean they used the awe method. They took 10, 15, 20 seconds to have a moment of awe. We asked them to do it three times a day during the study. But the people who did it more had a, had a stronger response. So the more often they dosed, the more significant benefit they experienced from using the awe method. So instead of three to five, how often did they do it? Well, I, um, there, there were people who were doing it, you know, uh, it was a pretty wide range, but a very common thing was for people to say, I'm going to do it once an hour. So every hour, you know, they would do the awe method. And what we said was, if you have a watch that tells you it's, you know, the hour is changing, it buzzes or it vibrates, that's a great time to do the awe method. And what was so intriguing to me is that people said, well, what if something's going on in that moment, you know? And what we said was, unless what's going on requires your attention, you know, it's a, sort of something that's mission critical. Other than that, just do the on method. You're driving your car, you could do the on method. You're in a business meeting, you could do the on method. You're having a conversation with your spouse, you can do the on method. It is very accessible. And it's not as if other people really see you doing it although they may experience the shift as your physiology shifts other people will pick up on that i would think so or or as a smile comes to your face or light into your eyes those those are things that if you're looking for them there you'll definitely find them that's right and when we have a moment of awe those things you just stated are part of what happened a little smile comes on our face our jaw often will sort of open, it, kind of like when we have a gasp, a positive, sort of something wonderful, and we go, oh, uh, our eyebrows raise. Often we'll have uh, a little bit of goosebumps we experience. And sometimes people who have a real keen sense of their body, they'll experience energy rising up their spine. And they'll have this uh, energetic release. And that's kind of a significant awe moment, which we refer to as an orgasmic moment. Well, I love that, you know, it sounds like you can be very, you can do this just spontaneously, that you don't have to plan it out. You don't have to put it on your schedule. You don't have to be in a certain place. The lights don't have to be off. That, I mean, if you can do it when you're driving a car, you can do it anywhere. You can. You can do it sitting at a red light. I, I, you know, I should probably caution people that, you know, doing it when driving, of course, use, use good judgment. But um, well, of to course. those of us who are experienced, you, you, um, I, I certainly use it when I'm driving. I'm, you know, I'm living in Hawaii and I'm driving and it's just I'm surrounded by beauty all the time. And so I just have tremendous opportunity to use the awe method. 
Um, it's not limited to being in a beautiful environment. There are people who, and this is really interesting, there are people who are in very challenging environments that are accessing the emotion of awe. And probably one of the most famous or well-known examples is Viktor Frankl's book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And if people aren't familiar with it, it's a story of a brilliant man who was in the concentration camps during World War II and used that time to really deeply understand himself and other people and how do we endure, how do we survive when under a great deal of stress. And he ended up going on and writing a book and developing a whole therapeutic model. But in his book, he describes situations which would normally be considered, you know, horrific, just incredibly challenging. And yet within those challenging times, he and other people were still having moments where they experienced awe. Is that a moment you can share with somebody? Well, um, you mean the example from Viktor Frankl or that well, when you're having an awe moment? When you're having an awe moment. Well, uh, two things. Uh, you could be sharing the same awe moment with another person. We do this naturally. So, you know, you and I are out on a walk and we come upon something beautiful and we, we look at each other and we just both know we're seeing something magnificent. And we both have a moment of awe and reverie. Now, if we try to share that, if we share it, what I mean is if we start to talk about it, we'll actually bring ourselves out of the awe moment because when we experience awe, we're in a state of timelessness. We're in a state that's wordless. You, you can't really be talking about it and having the experience at the same time. There's nothing wrong with talking about it and sharing, but it does actually pull us back from the moment of awe. And, and I can share a model with you that may help explain this, but I just want to make sure I'm being clear in terms of the point I'm making. Okay. I will. We've got about six minutes before we go to break. Is that enough time to talk about the model? Yeah, it is. Um, the, the model that uh, my wife and I created several years ago is a very simple model that people have found to be extremely helpful. We call it the three levels of consciousness. And what we've done is we've identified that the primary level of consciousness we all live in most of the time is called safety consciousness. And that's where we're focused on getting things done, taking care of business, playing by the rules, uh, taking care of those we love, all the things that we all do every day. And it's a valuable state. And we want to get good at it. If we then shift and go to a slightly higher level of consciousness, we call that heart consciousness. And we access that by getting in touch with gratitude and appreciation. And as soon as we shift to start really focusing on the things in life that we appreciate and are grateful for, our physiology changes. And that fight flight, that tension reduces and we're in a more expanded state. If we then wanna go one level further, we go into what's called spacious consciousness. And that's a state Typically, it's accessed through some kind of contemplative practice like meditation or Qigong. It's a state that is timeless. And there are no words. 
it's a profound sense of expansion where our sense of self becomes smaller and our experience of connection becomes greater. That is a moment of awe. And using the awe method is the fastest way we know to access spacious consciousness. And so when you said, can you share an awe moment? Well, if you and I are both having this experience of spacious consciousness, we're each having our own unique experience. We're not talking about it. If we then wanted to talk about it, we would be coming back down to a lower level where we could use words and, and refer to what it was that just happened. And it's not that any one level is good and another is bad. It's not a competition. The idea is to be able to flow smoothly from one level to another, depending on what's going on in the, in the current moment. Well, it's interesting because as you described that, you know, the three levels, the first, the safety, I immediately thought of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And yeah. as you walked me through the model, I could, I could go up that pyramid. Exactly. And, you know, where, where Maslow takes us is to a level called self-actualization. And it's something that people often want to strive for. But one of the paradoxes is that you can't be striving and access this state of spaciousness. It's not a striving. It's not a reaching. It's more of a being. It's more of a letting go. It's fully present. And that's when the moment of awe naturally can arise. So it's being able to stay present in the moment. Present in the moment. And we make a distinction. We talk about relying on presence instead of force as a way to move through your life. Well, I think you probably have experienced that with some clients like I have. And Harvard Health, which is one of my favorite spots, says that 80% of us are either lost in the past are worried about the future and we cannot stay present in the moment and i'm thinking about this is something if you tell somebody this will take you five seconds i can't imagine any client saying oh no i can't do that i mean five seconds sure i can do that bring it on i'm like well nope not bring it on <laughs> i have a couple <laughs> clients I, i'm visualizing as as we talk i have a couple clients that I would love to try this with, but when you can just, it, sometimes I think you have to be very present to keep that five seconds because it's, I, I mean, I go in and out of things that I find myself, oh, I'd really like to stay with that thought. I'd really like to explore that thought a little bit more in depth and, but I'll go in and out of it. So in the last minute that we have, have you, you're probably pretty good at this. You're the creator. Have you ever had trouble staying in your awe moment? I don't have trouble staying in the awe moment, but that's in part because I never try to, I never compare it. I never talk about it. I never categorize it. I simply relish it. And, you simply and let it difference. be. Let it be. Yeah, let that's be. right. That's a great song. I still remember. Well, this is this my big takeaway from this is let's let it be. And when we come back from break, we'll hear more. We'll be back after these messages. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Biceps muscles are a characteristic part of the upper arm, and when they are strengthened, they become defined, hard, and strong. The Latin phrase for biceps muscle means two-headed muscle of the arm. The biceps crosses both the shoulder and elbow joints. Both heads arise on the scapula and join to form a single muscle belly, which is attached to the upper forearm. Because we use biceps muscles a lot in everyday use, they are usually one of the strongest muscles of your arm. Lifting weights and resistance exercises are the best ways to build the muscle, and there are a variety of biceps curls to choose from. You can do dumbbell curls, hammer curls, 21s, preacher curls, concentration curls, barbell curls, incline dumbbell curls, cable curls, and more. Be sure to include bicep curls in some form in your weightlifting routine for chiseled arms. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's you ever check under the bed for monsters when you were a kid? That's what one man from Zimbabwe should have done. When Guy Whittle retired for the evening at the Humani Lodge where he works, he had no clue that an eight-foot crocodile was sleeping under his bed. He got out of bed to eat breakfast and heard one of the housekeepers scream. What's a word for the fear of reptiles? Herpetophobia. Mr. Whittle said that he had previously been sitting on the edge of the bed with his bare feet dangling just centimeters away from the 300-pound croc. Maybe crocodile noses aren't that sensitive after all. What's another word for smelly feet? Podhogramadrosis. To use a term from Shakespeare, these two were strange bedfellows. It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for staying with us. And over our break, you know, I reflected back and a couple of things that Jake said really had an impact on me. And one was he mentioned the default mode, because that is, that's a network in the brain that many times will train. And oftentimes that'll show up in somebody that is, has anxiety or or different issues that reflect a connection to self and that ability to connect to self. As I heard you describe, ah, I really believe that is a reflection of your ability to connect to yourself. Yeah, there's this fascinating aspect of awe as an emotion, which is that when we access awe, our sense of um, identity, our sense of who we are expands. It expands significantly. We begin to sense being connected to things that are greater than ourselves. But along with that expansion, our sense of ego diminishes. Our sense of self-importance diminishes. And that, of course, is what many people are looking for in the various spiritual traditions. But the challenge is, you know, how do you create that state? And the R method is one way to do it and to do it very quickly. And part of what's happening is when we, when we go into a state of awe or spacious consciousness, the default mode network quiets down. And the default mode network is where we're having a lot of our self-reflective thoughts, uh, internal criticism, um, comparison, 
uh, rumination, a lot of those things are happening within the default mode network. And the, the idea is if we can quiet that down, then we experience this deeper sense of presence. And I think that's something that we're all looking for, every single one of us. Not only are we looking for it, but I would say it's an imperative in terms of, um, you know, what, you, what we are seeing in terms of research is we're seeing a decline in health, both physical health and mental health. And well, we need to help people. Go ahead. Let's talk about that research a little bit. I'd like to understand that. Well, I'm, I'm in a group with a series of uh, doctors and academics, um, and my colleague Michael Amster is in that group also. And we've been meeting now for three years, and we've been talking about the increase in chronic disease, uh, the increase in chronic pain, the increase in depression, and we're trying to find ways to crack this open and, and understand what's the cause of it and how do we treat it. One of the one of the significant insights that this group has reached is the medical system is not helping people feel safe. Medical practitioners, frontline healthcare workers are under so much stress themselves and so much pressure to be in and out with clients and patients that they're not creating an environment of safety. And if we don't create an environment of safety, people do not fully heal. And so this is part of what we're trying to do is create an environment in which people can help themselves feel safe and relaxed. Because when they do, all sorts of positive things happen. There's what's called increased or elevated vagal tone, which is a very positive thing for our physiology. There's the reduced sympathetic arousal that you and I talked about. There's increased release of oxytocin, which is known as the love hormone. There's also, and this is particularly true with the emotion of awe, there's reduced inflammation. Ah. Now, of, yeah, yeah. There, there is a fascinating study that was done in 2015. It was done, I believe it was done by Stellar, if people want to look it up. And in that study, there were these self-reports. And the people who reported the greatest amount of awe had the lowest levels of inflammation as it was measured by interleukin-6. And so we were seeing this, this fascinating um, relationship between the positive emotion of awe and a reduction of inflammation. And, you know, if your listeners aren't aware of it, inflammation is probably one of the greatest causes of all disease. And pain for absolutely sure. To, to be able to... and. And you know a lot more about the chronic pain situation than I do because of, of your 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 co-author. But what I do know is the only thing that has been effective with chronic pain has created an even bigger problem for society, and that's addiction. Yeah, and and I would I would um, would kind of want to parse what you said, you know, in terms of the only thing that's effective for chronic pain. If you are talking about uh, opioids and medication, that's one strategy. But what we're finding is there's another approach to chronic pain, and that is learning to work with our mind. Because the majority of chronic pain is not the result of some kind of um, physical abnormality. 
the majority of pain is due to what's called neuroplasticity. It's the way that our brains have wired our response to certain sensations and we become overly sensitized and we go into a pain response, but we can learn to undo that. And the results are really uh, striking in terms of how effective this is. Well, I totally agree with that. Pain lives in the brain and it's, and we've seen that a lot with our military that they'll actually lose a limb and they'll come back and they'll still feel that pain in that limb. I mean, and that's pain lives in the brain. And personally, I have a bias against medication because it's never really worked for me. I know it does fabulous things for a lot of people, but really hasn't for me. And my approach to pain has always been to try to find the root of the cause and inflammation nine times out of 10. And I honestly believe the gut is the second brain. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, do, you, do you remember John Sarno, Dr. Sarno's work? Absolutely. You were, yeah. So Dr. Sarno, for people who aren't familiar, I, I think it was back in the nineties. I can't remember when he wrote his book, but um, his, his whole approach is very unique. And he essentially was saying that pain is a way that we distract ourselves from unwanted emotions. So let's say that I have an emotion, let's say it's anger, and I have a lot of anger, but I don't want to deal with it. And I then begin to experience pain as a distraction. Now, this is all happening unconsciously. It's nothing that I've done intentionally. And personally, my experience with Dr. Sarno's work has been rather uh, extraordinary, kind of crazy, as in I was in chronic pain for six months due to a fall. I read Dr. Sarno's book, and halfway through reading the book, my shoulder pain went away. That's amazing. It was, it was that dramatic, yeah. Now, I knew what I was, I knew as soon as I started reading his book, what, what emotion I was trying to avoid. And so I very quickly recognized what it was, and then I started to talk about it and write about it and express it. And as soon as I did that, my pain levels decreased dramatically. That is very impressive. And they not only did the, your pain levels decrease, did they eventually disappear? Well, they did. But here's the most interesting part of the story. When I would re-experience that same emotion, and the emotion was anger, when I would re-experience it, the pain would come back. Oh. Not, not to the same degree, but it is a absolutely vivid signal where my body is saying to me, hey, pay attention, pay attention, right? And I don't want to pay attention. And so that's when the pain arises. In other words, the pain is distracting me from the emotion that I don't want to deal with. Well, that resonates with me because when I get tense, when I get stressed out, I feel it. I feel it in my shoulders and I feel it in my neck. And I've never thought about it as my body saying, relax, you know, just relax. Because you do feel it. The body keeps score of everything that's going on in the brain. That's for sure. And, and I would say it in a slightly different way. Yes, it may be that your body's saying relax, but there are times where that's really challenging to do if we're under a lot of emotional stress. So another way to think about it would be, okay, I'm feeling this tension in my shoulders and my neck. What feelings, what emotions 
am I trying to avoid? What don't I want to address? And, and, and when I say address, I don't mean, you know, you don't need to necessarily go to therapy and, and, and work on it for months. What I mean is to simply acknowledge what is the emotion and then write about it, just freeform, write about it for five minutes. And I will be surprised if you don't experience a decrease in that tension. I like that. I like that a lot. That's a great approach. And, and I'm a big believer in, in, in journals. But I am one that after about mm, 10 minutes is probably my max to write in a journal. So I, I love that nothing has to go on forever and ever with this approach. No, absolutely. It doesn't. And in a way, we don't want it to. And this is an interesting part about the journaling. Um, we want to write about these emotions. And when we're done writing, we want to tear it up and throw it away. In other words, don't have it be something that you're going to track for months and months or years and years. That's a different kind of journal. This process, this process of expressive writing, and uh, Dr. Pennybaker has done some fantastic research on this. There's about 2,000 papers that document the value of expressive writing. The idea is to just write and acknowledge whatever the emotions are and then throw it away as opposed to ruminating about it or thinking about it. It's not a process to be continued. It's just to be experienced and then let it go. Well, you know, and that's that's a process that I recommend. Get it out of your head. And a lot of times just physically, the physical action of writing it down does get it out of your head. It does. And um, I was in a group call with Dr. Pennebaker and he said the irony is or the, the, they don't actually know why it works. There's a lot of speculation about what's happening, but they don't fully understand why expressive writing is so effective. We just know that it is. Well, why do you think the awe method is so effective? I think what happens with the awe method is that we are interrupting a cycle of constriction that most of us go through our lives without realizing how constricted we are. And when we do the awe method, we break free of that. We have, whether it's five seconds or 15 seconds, where we have this expanded experience in which we can breathe fully, we're not thinking about anything, and it's just a profound sense of relief. And in that moment, all sorts of new possibilities open up. Not intellectual, not, not thought possibilities, but all sorts of new possibilities in terms of our physiology, in terms of our breathing patterns, and all of that, of course, affects our thought patterns. It's a reset. Think of it as a reset, like when you, um, you know, your computer doesn't work and you hit the reset button, you reboot it. It's kind of uh-huh. like that. Well, when I think about so many of us are just burnt out, we are just to the point where we feel like we have nothing else to give. I would think that this would be a great strategy. Great strategy. And burnout is a super challenging issue. Um, We did study burnout when we did the frontline healthcare workers and our results were we're good, although burnout is one of those issues where it's very hard to see significant results in a short amount of time. Um, What we saw was a reduction in burnout over 21 days 
And all we were asking people to do was practice something that took 15 seconds, three times a day. And so when you think about how little people had to invest and that we saw an improvement in burnout, it was pretty exciting. The, the main reason I think burnout is so challenging is because it's often accompanied by sleep deprivation. Mm. And sleep deprivation is not something that we can easily make up for. In other words, we can use all kinds of techniques, but if we're really sleep deprived, we're operating in a real deficit. That makes total sense. Sleep and nutrition are two foundations that are so important just for everything. So how does nutrition play into this or does it? Well, I would say that, um, you know, the, the greater our health to start with due to nutrition and exercise and self-care, the more likely we are to experience awe. Um, however, it's not limited to a foundation of health. Uh, I'll give you an example. When research was done on the topic of awe, we found that people were more able to experience awe when they were from um, lower socioeconomic class. And the, the, the reasoning behind it is that when people were of uh, lower means financially, they had less attachment to their ego. Right. So just kind of think about that, that people who are, you know, they're, they're not necessarily um, performing at a high level that has resulted in financial well-being. And the people who are performing at a high level and who are experiencing success financially have most likely got more attachment to their ego. And they're a little bit less receptive to awe because remember, I said earlier that when we experience awe, we actually have a little bit of ego diminishment. Our sense of self decreases. And some people aren't comfortable with that. No, I, I, I can see that, that some people would not be comfortable with that. Well, and I think a lot of people aren't comfortable talking. I mean, you talked about the three levels of consciousness. And I talk about the impact of the subconscious. I mean, every second. Research shows our brain can take in 11 billion bits of data. And they say that anywhere between 40 and 126 can be held on the consciousness level. I I think it's 40, but we don't have to do the math. Where does it all go? It goes to that subconscious. And a lot of people struggle with that. Um, That sounds, and I don't know if if, if it sounds uncontrollable, why people struggle with that. Well, this is also why I was suggesting that when we experience moments of awe, we, we not try to convert them into descriptions because when we take a moment of awe and we translate it into words, it's as if we're bringing it from the unconscious to the conscious. And we, we don't need to reduce a moment of awe to words. All we need to do is allow ourselves to have that experience. And, well, and, and you know, it, it's just so interesting to me because it's like you don't need to save them. You don't need to review them. And, right. you know, there's so many things that we learn in psychotherapy that that you do that with. 
But with this, it's it's just you you enjoy it. You let it be. That's exactly it. We're back to where you what you said before. Let it be. So yeah. you take your attention and you place it on something that's positive. You you wait a moment. You have this deep exhalation that triggers certain positive things in your nervous system, and then you let it be. You let yourself be in that state, and all the good things come out of that. The the mind quiets down, the body relaxes, the nervous sh- system shifts into a healthier state. It's really a it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's a simple thing, and it's accessible really all the time and that's amazing it doesn't cost anything and it doesn't take a lot of time i mean as i said earlier you know sometimes with different therapies oh you have to be in the room's got to be dark and this has got to be this way and right. this is good and and i'm not faulting that but right. one of the first things i learned many many years ago was the tapping technique for on the mm-hmm. acupuncture meridians, but and I know people use it and, and very successfully. But I thought, where am I going to use that? Am I going to be in a conference room and somebody aggravate me and I start tapping? You know, <laughs> and I guess you could, but it wasn't a good right. fit for me. And right. or I'm in a, a grocery store and somebody. I mean, it's just this is so usable. Any any place, any time. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a minute because not only is it easy to do, but it can be used in situations almost as a preventative. So I'll give you an example. Um, but have you ever had that need to talk to a partner and, and it was a conversation that you thought might be challenging? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So before you have the conversation, if you just would access a moment of awe, it will shift your physiology so that when you then approach your partner and say, I'd like to have a conversation with you about such and such, you're bringing a different tone and your partner will respond differently. Now, even better is if your partner knows the awe method and you sit down and you say, I want to talk to you about something that happened last night. Didn't didn't go well, and I think we need to talk about it. But before we do, let's just take a moment to access awe. And and it can be by looking at one another, because even though you had a disagreement last night, you still love this person. They're your best friend. They're dear to you. It's not hard to look at them and experience awe. And if you both do that, you now start the conversation from a different level of consciousness completely changes the tone and the experience of the conversation. I see great application for that in couples therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that one of my biggest takeaways is the impact that this can have on inflammation, because honestly, I believe we all have inflammation and Mm -hmm. it, it comes from the stress in our life. It comes from living life. Maybe it comes from genetics. But we, if we could reduce the inflammation, how many years do you think that would add to our life? 
I think it would be very significant in two ways. I think it would add to the longevity, but I think it would most dramatically add to the quality of our lives. Because Wait. as inflammation goes down, yeah. No, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt, but but I'll take quality over quantity any day. And, and I think what you and I are suggesting is that by reducing inflammation, we're going to have better quality, and that's probably going to lead to greater longevity. Absolutely. I think they go together, right? Yeah. I, I think they yeah. do, too. And, you know, the great thing is, is that, that you've written, you and your co-author have written a book about this, and it's something that people can purchase and they can use on their own. It's not something that you have to have someone else guide you through, is it? It's not. Um, in it isn't. It's it's so it's so simple. I mean, you could say, well, why do you even need a book? But the book is fun in that it provides a lot of um, illustrations and stories about people who have done this. It tells the story of the study that we conducted at Berkeley, and it also includes, uh, I think, thirty or thirty-six. I don't remember experiments. We call them experiments, where we give you the reader a simple uh, set of instructions to follow that will induce a state of awe. And we do them in three different categories. There are uh, different kinds of awe that can be induced. One is called sensorials. That's where we get in touch with our sensations, our, our, our taste, touch, smell, sound, sight. The other one is interconnected awe. And that's where we stimulate awe by connecting with another person or an animal. And then the third one is called um, conceptual awe. And that's where we hear an idea that produces awe. It's just such a mind-blowing or hard-to-grasp concept. It's just magnificent. And that takes us into a state of awe. So we give people uh, numerous examples in each of those three categories where they can begin to experience awe for themselves. Wow. In the last couple of minutes we have left, let's tell people where they can learn more about you and the work you do. And, and I know the book is available on Amazon. It, where else is it available? Yeah, so the book is called The Power of Awe. It's available on, I think it's really pretty much everywhere. It's available on Amazon. There's an audio version of it on Audible, which is really well done. Um, and then Barnes and & Nobles and, and most other places. Uh, it's also in an electronic version for Kindle and um, iBooks. And then we have our website, which is thepowerofawe.com. And on there, there's a link to the book. Um, we're going to be doing some courses upcoming where people can join a course that's not dissimilar to what we did in our studies. It's 21 days. We meet once a week for an hour on Zoom. And people get to have an experience of us taking them through this process. And uh, we'll be doing one of those starting, uh, I believe, um, February 19th. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You might run into me again on February 19th. Because, <laughs> Jake, it, it's been such a pleasure to have you as a guest. And, and it's been an awe moment. And I, and I mean that sincerely. Because it just being in the moment and, it, and feeling the, the hope and the inspiration after our talking, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. 
Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.